Mark chapter 1. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, which begins the New Testament, traces the story of Jesus all the way back to Abraham, the father of the the people of Israel, the man chosen by God. Luke traces the story back even further. He traces the story telling us the the beautiful story of Jesus' birth, but then traces the genealogy of Jesus back to Adam. John, the fourth of the Gospel writers, goes even further because he starts in the very beginning at the act of creation, Jesus was there. And yet Luke, Luke jumps right into the story. We don't start in the quaint stables of Bethlehem. We start in the ministry of Jesus. We see the forerunner, John, standing here, and it comes to us as the immediate announcement of good news, radical news which changes everything. Listen to the gospel Mark chapter 1, I'll read through verse 13. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. And the angels attended him. This is the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in these powerful, earth-shattering, epic-changing words that Jesus has come. And so, Lord, I pray that as we listen to your word, those words would penetrate our hearts. That we who, who stubbornly chase after our own desires and sins would be confronted by the power of Jesus that those who gather in our midst without knowing the true identity of Jesus as the Savior of the world, the Son of God, would come face to face with him through the power of your Spirit at work in the preaching of your word. Lord, let your gospel reach its conclusion in our hearts. Draw us to Christ. Make us like him. Lord, we pray that the gospel would would give us hope and joy on a day of, of national sadness and sorrow. Lord, we pray that that you would point us to the true hope which we need, the hope which gives us comfort in times of sorrow, in times of distress, in times of fear and doubt. Lord, let your gospel point us to Christ. And so I pray that, that the message and ministry of Jesus would be on full display, not merely in his historical context, but in our lives. Lord, transform us, we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 
Mark jumps right into the story. But he, he gives us a perspective that, that we're desperate for. Because Mark is really giving us essentially a behind-the-scenes tour of who is Jesus. The question will be raised throughout the gospel. Who is this one who has come? It's a, it's a question the disciples wrestle with. And, and honestly, in Mark's gospel, the disciples don't really get much credit for figuring any of this out. They seem lost through most of the gospel. But, but this prologue, this opening section here of the gospel of Mark, directly tells us, publicly announces who Jesus is. Tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus is the one sent by God. Jesus is good news for us. I mean, if you've spent any time in church or even just spent time talking to Christians, that language of good news of gospel sounds familiar to you. And in the ancient world to which Mark was writing, and it's, it's possible that Mark was the first of the four gospels written, and so that this use of the word gospel, good news, to, to define a, a category of writing is, is used here for the first time. No, it's a word that's already been used by the apostles in their preaching and teaching ministry, but it's, it's a word in the ancient world that, that you would have understood. Because when a, when a royal messenger arrives to announce a royal wedding, when the baby is born to the king, then that is gospel. That is good news. When your king announces victory over your, your mortal enemies, that is gospel. Good news. And so Mark announces to us the gospel about Jesus Christ. The gospel, good news for us. It is not merely good advice. It's not merely a a historical truth. It it is that, but it is good news which is meant to transform us. And we we see how how Mark, in giving us this this behind-the-scenes tour, is is almost doing what what happens at the beginning of the book of Job in the Old Testament. In those opening chapters of Job, you, you are there in heaven with God, understanding what is taking place on earth. And that, in a, in a sense, is what we're getting to see because these opening, this opening prologue here in Mark gives us heaven's perspective on who Jesus is. Because it comes to us with the divine announcement from the Old Testament scriptures. It comes with the, the prophet who is sent to declare the one who is coming. It comes with the, the heavens being ripped open and, and a voice coming to us directly from heaven telling us who Jesus is. It comes to us with the announcement that God is with Jesus even in the wilderness. And while, while Mark doesn't flesh out these stories as much as the other gospel writers do, while he doesn't give us as many details, almost the, the abruptness, the, the speed at which he moves, highlights its importance. Because Mark wants us to, to quickly and immediately understand who is Jesus. And so it comes with this good news about Jesus, who is the Christ. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, the Christ, who has been sent. He is the Son of God. That's, it's, it's really, in essence, a, a title for the book, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It comes as a divine announcement that the Christ, the promised Old Testament Redeemer, Messiah, is here. And this is the, the divine announcement, which, which we're told here is from the Isaiah the prophet. And really, if, your foot, if you look at your footnotes, you notice... Mark is is not just quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Malachi's commentary on Isaiah, but he's willing to just say, this is the announcement that that Isaiah gave. This is what the prophets are telling us was to happen. Jesus is here. Yahweh, Messiah, has come. 
We see in verses 2 and 3, it's written in Isaiah the prophet, this divine announcement, where God says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. When the announcement comes the, and you wait to see who's going to walk through the door, when the prophet steps up and says the Lord is about to enter and you look to see who's coming, it is Yahweh himself who will be the next character on stage. And so this divine announcement, the, 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 the baptizer, John, who in this, this crazy way is the, the forerunner of God himself, I mean, he, he's a man who lives in the desert. He wears the, the garb of, of, of a prophet. He, he eats the, the locusts and wild honey. He just survives in the wilderness. But John announces this truth, which is told to us by Isaiah, that Yahweh is here. Yahweh is coming. Prepare yourself because the Lord, God himself, is about to step onto the scene. I mean, John is here at the at the turning point in history. He is the prophet, the last of the prophets. The final prophet who will announce, and, and the prophets have been silent for hundreds of years. And yet now, the last prophet announces Yahweh is coming. John is in the, the desert. He's preaching, we're told, a baptism for the rep- of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance means to, to, to change your mind, to, to turn from the path you were walking, a, a path of sin, and to turn, acknowledge that sin to be wrong, and to turn toward God, to admit you were wrong. And John is saying, now is the time to repent because God, the judge of the universe, is about to step onto the stage. So he's baptizing in the, the Judean, people from the Judean countryside. The, we're, we're told by Mark that all of Jerusalem comes out to John. They confess their sins in verse 5. They're baptized by him in the Jordan River. And, and Mark summarizes for us John's message. Look at verses 7 and 8. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. But you see, John, the greatest of the prophets, the final, ultimate prophet, announcing the coming of Yahweh, says, the one who comes next, I'm not even worthy to grovel at his feet. I'm not even worthy to touch the dust and filth of his shoes. The one who comes is Yahweh. He says in verse 8, I baptize you with water. It's this ritual symbol, perhaps captured from some of the the, the Jewish customs of of washing and, and making themselves ceremonial clean. But John is baptizing with water in the Jordan River. But he says the one who comes, the one who's Sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The one who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, the divine forerunner is making a divine announcement. Who is the one in the Old Testament who pours out his spirit? It's God himself. The prophets don't have this kind of power. The prophets aren't given this ministry. It is God himself who will come and pour out his spirit on his people. John is this turning point in history. The, the awaited arrival of the Messiah is now. The Messiah, God himself, the divine messenger, the Son of God is here. And then as we turn to the, my Bible describes it as the baptism and temptation of Jesus. In, in essence, because it's, it's 
showing us the parallels to the other gospel writers, but, but, in, but in Mark's gospel, the, the news of what is about to happen is bigger. John has just said, the one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who is about to step through the door? Jesus. At that time, Jesus came from, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, there's no attempt here by Mark, like the other gospel writers do, to explain why Jesus would need to be baptized. I mean, in, in Matthew's gospel, John actually protests. No, 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 you don't need to be baptized by me. My baptism is a baptism of repentance. You have nothing to repent of. I need to be baptized by you. And, and Jesus says, it's, now's the right moment. Now's the turning point of history. Now's the epic. But John, or Mark doesn't give us any of this, the complaints of John. It just, he just announces that Jesus was baptized because he has set us up in this behind-the-scenes tour for the one who is about to come. God himself, Yahweh, has stepped onto the scene. And then this, this divine arrival of Jesus is filled with these, these again, beautiful images, but, but they're cataclysmic. I mean, we're getting to see what's happening from, from heaven's point of view. And, and even here in verses 10 and 11, we, the way Mark tells the story, we don't know if anyone else hears or sees any of this except Jesus. We, we, we see in verse 10 that, that as Jesus was coming out, out of the water, he, Jesus alone, saw heaven being torn open. Jesus saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And in verse 11, a, a, a voice came from heaven, you are my son. We don't have any sense that anyone else even understands really what's taking place. John, the last of the prophets, has a, has a, has a glimpse of an understanding that the Messiah is stepping onto the scene. But we're getting to, to witness this story from heaven's point of view. The heavens have been torn open. This is the, the turning point in history. Yahweh has stepped down out of his throne room to walk on earth. The heavens have been ripped apart. The fabric of the universe has been changed because God is now here on earth. Jesus sees the Spirit descending on him. It's the image that, that is now familiar to us, the image of a dove representing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but it, it comes from this moment, this moment in history of, of the, the, the Spirit being given to the Messiah so that we saw back in verse 8, the Messiah can give out the Spirit. Others, the other prophets that came before Jesus were empowered by God's Spirit. But only the Messiah, only Jesus Messiah, only Jesus Yahweh can pour out the Spirit on God's people. And then so that we, we cannot miss what's happening, John, or Mark gives us an announcement, a voice from heaven, the voice of God himself. If we want to answer the question, who is Jesus? Verse 11 leaves us in no doubt. Jesus is the Son of God, the Beloved of God, the one who pleases God. Jesus is the one who has come to do the will of God. He is God's own Son. As readers, as listeners to the Gospel, we find out right now at the beginning of the story who Jesus is. It's a perplexing question that, that people will wrestle with throughout the, the ministry of Jesus. It, it really becomes the, the turning point in, the, in Mark's gospel, in the story. When in chapter 8, so in the middle of the gospel, at the end of chapter 8, Jesus is, is with the disciples. 
And in Mark 8, verse 27, he asks them, his disciples, this question. Who do people say that I am? And they talk about, well, some say you're, you know, John the Baptist, come back to life. Although anybody who has been around at least for a little while would know, well, but wait, there was that time that John and Jesus were there at the same time at the baptism, so that can't be true. Others say that it's Elijah, one of the Old Testament pro- prophets, who, who really the, the anticipation of, of the Old Testament was that Elijah would return, and he did. John the Baptist announced the arrival of Jesus. And others, they, Jesus, they just say you're one of the prophets. I mean, people people kind of like you, Jesus. I mean, you're up there like in the, you know, like top five greatest prophets. You know, Moses and Jesus and Elijah, like you're in there. But then Jesus makes the question personal. And this is really the question the gospel, Mark, forces us to answer. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? That's the question which confronts us. In the arrival of Jesus, the question is in front of you. Because we'd have answers like the people of Jesus' day. Well, he's, you know, one of the prophets. He's kind of a good teacher. I mean, I respect what Jesus has to say. I mean, I'd, I'd put him in the, the good moral teachers of the past that I, you know, I don't mind listening to. We're, we're comfortable with Jesus on our own terms. I mean, what kind of Jesus is acceptable to you? A peace-loving Jesus who, who demands nothing of you. A, a good teacher who has advice to dispense. But that's not the Jesus who we find here. And when the disciples are asked, who do you say I am? Peter steps forward. Peter, who has shared this gospel story with Mark. That's what history tells us. That the gospel of Mark is the story told through the apostle Peter. When Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are Messiah. But we've known that. We already knew that. We heard that at the very beginning of of Mark's gospel. We as the readers are not in suspense as to who Jesus is. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the one who God prepared the way for. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the one who will pour out his Holy Spirit. The beginning of the gospel, the Son, the beloved Son of God. The one on whom God's Spirit rests. You and I are not in doubt about who Jesus is. And so the, the Jesus that is acceptable to you is not the Jesus who stands now before you and confronts you. Because the Jesus that you are comfortable with, the Jesus who will meet you on on your own terms, is not the God who stepped into history. The God who steps into history is the judge of all the earth, Yahweh himself, here to meet his people. And yet, Jesus who has come, comes to us as good news. Good news, this is gospel. Jesus is here. And that's what happens when then the Spirit, back in Mark chapter 1, leads Jesus out into the desert. At once, we're told in verse 12. And, and again, that's, that's a phrase that, that Mark just uses over and over again. You feel like you have to sprint to keep up with him, to figure out where are we going, because Mark is moving at mock speed through his gospel. Immediately, at once, the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. We have none of the, the conversation that the other gospels recount for us. 
between Jesus and Satan. We don't have any of the, the specific content of, of Jesus' temptation, but we, we have the interesting detail here that's repeated. That the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert. Mark is actually emphasizing the location that this takes place. He doesn't stop to, to explain the temptations in great detail. He just says, like he announces that Jesus was baptized. Jesus was tempted. But he emphasizes this location. Why? Because it, it really goes back to verse 3, that we have the voice of John in the desert. We now have Jesus in the desert. But it, it captures the, that the, the, we're going back to the beginning of the story. I mean, I, I told you that, John, that, that Mark just jumps into the story, unlike the other gospel writers, but, but he really is going back. Because we're told that Jesus is here in the desert with the wild animals. And where's the, the time that you have? Uh, the, I mean, that phrase is really feels like a bizarre kind of detail to include. Like, Satan is there. Oh, by the way, there were wild animals. I don't think I needed to get to that detail. Satan was there. I'm not at, with the threat of Satan means kind of wild animals don't really feel like a big threat to me, Mark. And yet, here you have a man in the place of temptation, surrounded by the beasts of the universe. Jesus is the second Adam. We are back at the beginning of the story when Adam, the, the first man created by God, is in a garden with Satan, surrounded by the, the wild animals. And yet Jesus, Jesus, does not fall. Sinclair Ferguson, a, a Presbyterian pastor, one of my, one of my seminary professors, he, he says that, that these, these strange details, the wild animals of, of Satan in the desert, this, this bizarre scene is meant to show us that Jesus came to undo everything that has gone wrong before it. Jesus came to undo the, the ruin of our world caused by Adam's sin. Jesus has stepped onto the scene. He is the, the hope of Israel. I mean, we have the, the detail which the other gospel writers tell us about being in the desert for 40 days. Like the 40 days Moses was on the mountain. Like the 40 days of, of rain. Like the, the 40 days in which God provided for Elijah. Like the 40 years in the desert of the people of God. Jesus is the hope of Israel. Jesus is the new Adam. That's that's the way the Apostle Paul will describe him in 1 Corinthians 15 in the announcement of the resurrection, that the, 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 the first Adam who failed has been supplanted. His work has been undone and fixed by the last Adam, Jesus Christ who has come. And so we have here good news. See, if you, if you think that Christianity is, is about keeping a set of rules, about doing the right thing, yet Christianity has lots of rules because when Jesus the Messiah, when God himself stands in front of you, you might expect that, that God would have something to say about the way you're living. I mean, your, your mother has something to say about the way you look before you step out of the house. Surely God would have something to say about the way you're living. And so, yes, the Bible has rules and demands. It demands obedience from us. But before the Bible is a, is a list or, or a series of, of, of advice for us, the Bible is the announcement of gospel. The proclamation of of good news. 
And so the beginning of the Gospel of Mark forces us to acknowledge that, that we need someone to come. We need God to step into our story. We cannot rely on ourselves. We cannot find other saviors who would rescue us. The prophets who have come before are insufficient. Our own moral goodness is insufficient. We need God to step into the story. We need God to rip open the heavens and come down to us. We need Jesus. And there, in that detail, in that cataclysmic event of verse 10, Jesus, coming up out of the water after his baptism, saw heaven being torn open. It's a, it's a strange word that's used here in the, the gospel. Greek scholars point out that, that that's, that's not an ordinary word. And they also note that Mark uses it one other time in the gospel. He uses it, this word for, for the heavens being torn open at the end of his story. When we have Jesus, the one who has come as Messiah, on the cross. Jesus on the cross, we're told in, in Mark 15, verse 33, that, that at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land for three hours until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to him. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And now at the turning point, at this pivotal moment in the story of Jesus, Mark tells us in Mark 15, 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The heavens were torn so that Jesus could step onto earth. The temple is torn so that we can now step into God's presence. We need Jesus to accomplish this for us. And it's only here in the death of Jesus that you and I find our hope, that that you and I actually have something that's more than good advice. We have what the gospel writer tells us is good news. Good news announced to us of who Jesus is. He is Yahweh. This is the beginning of the gospel. This is the story of our rescue. The heavens have been ripped open. Jesus has crawled down into our lives. And Jesus is the one who gains victory over sin through his death on the cross. The night of September 10th was a quiet night for Scott Strauss on duty with the NYPD. He was a member of the Elite Emergency Services Unit of the New York City Police Department. But the end of his shift was not quiet. For it's the cataclysmic event that you and I all know. Those of you older than 15 probably know where you were, maybe 20. Know where you were that morning. Scott was called on the morning of 9-11, after the towers had fallen, to be part of the rescue efforts. His team has described that, that when you're in trouble, you call the police. When the police are in trouble, they call Scott. Scott found a surviving Port Authority officer trapped in the rubble. He realized that, that the only way to reach him was to crawl down into the collapsed towers 
to crawl through a tiny opening in the enormous pile of degrees, debris, still on fire in threat of greater collapse. Scott is strapped into a, a harness. He has an air pack so that he can breathe. But to keep going, he will have to leave it behind. To make it to the rescue point, he will have to unstrap himself from his harness, leave behind his air pack. But he said the hardest thing for him to do was to take off his gun belt. He said, I, I knew I wasn't going to need my gun, but a police officer never goes anywhere without his gun. But to fit through this hole, to, to reach a fellow officer, this was the last resort. He unhooked his gun and climbed down into this hole. Before he went, he, called his, he, he told his fellow officers, tell my wife I love her. Tell my kids that, that I love them. See, never did it occur to Scott Strauss not to go, not to put himself in harm's way. Miraculously, he was able to, thankfully, he was able to tell his wife and children he loved them, to pull a fellow officer from the rubble, to, to receive the New York City Medal of Honor. That cataclysmic event of 9-11 for us nationally psychologically, changed everything for many of us. And yet it is nothing compared to the ripping open of the heavens. The heavens ripped open, and Jesus himself crawls down to rescue us. See, this is the good news of the gospel. Yahweh himself has made himself vulnerable, not just to the possibility of death, but to the reality of death. Jesus, knowing that the heavens were ripped open at the beginning of his ministry, knew that his life would be ripped from him, that the, the curtain of the temple would be ripped apart at his death. Jesus came, humbling himself for us. See, that's why Mark can say that this is the beginning of the gospel. This is the announcement of good news. Because Jesus, Messiah, Yahweh, is here to rescue you. And so this fall, you're going to hear this question from us again and again. Who do you say Jesus is? The answer is here. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is my rescuer. So the response is clear. John prepares us for it. Jesus will tell it to us in the coming verses. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, and believe the good news that Jesus, Jesus Messiah is my rescuer. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we, we ask that you would let us see the, the depth of our need, the, the problem of our sin, and yet, let us hear this good news. Lord, we have heard it read, we have, we have heard it spoken, but we need to hear it with new ears. We need to hear it with a, with a heart that has been made alive by the power of your Spirit. And so do that work for us now. Lord, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our, our fears and pain, 
give us hope and comfort in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who have not yet been able to answer that question with any confidence, with any assurance, who is Jesus? Let them now, even as we pray, come to you in repentance, confessing their sins. Let them turn to you and find their hope and their rescue through Jesus, your beloved Son, Jesus, the one in whom you are pleased, Jesus who died in our place, Jesus who has been raised again. Lord, let this gospel give us hope. We pray in the name of Jesus, Messiah. Amen.